Hello and welcome to the Private Practice Made Perfect podcast. I'm Cathy Love. I started life as an OT, had a, an amazing, crazy private practice which I sold. And what I do now is help allied health business owners create a business that serves them, the time, the money, the joy that they absolutely deserve. And this is where my idea for the podcast started. What I want to do is to capture how hard allied health business owners in Australia work to achieve their dreams, to support their teams, to create amazing outcomes for their clients. So sit back, beverage of choice, drive safely, walk carefully, however you're listening in, and I hope you absolutely enjoy. Welcome, everybody. I've got the directors of Many Recruit sitting in front of me today, Danielle Whedon and Claire Jones. Welcome. It's been a while. Thanks, Kathy. Thanks for having us on. Yes, thank you for having us on. It has been a while. And so we are in this kind of post-COVID world, hey? So um, the uh, situation across Australia, well, across the globe is a little different from when we last kind of spoke. Um, I'd love to hear from you what you've been up to in this last 12 months. Yeah, so um, for your listeners out there who don't know who we are, um, we're a specialist allied health recruitment agency um, run by myself and Danielle. I'm an OT by background and Danielle's a physio by background. And we've been working in recruitment since 2001, so quite some time now. Mm-hmm. Um, we recruit across Australia, New Zealand and the UK. Uh, and it's fair to say that we've never seen a tougher time in recruitment as we're seeing now. Um, Post-COVID, post-introduction of the NDIS, our ageing population, there are so many factors impacting uh, recruitment into allied health at the moment. And and Aussie therapists are starting to head back to the UK to do their two or three-year working holidays now as well, so that's that's also um, not helping the market here at the moment. Mm. And lining that, Danielle, is um, from some of the members that we work with, clinicians are wanting or are requesting six and eight weeks of leave to do the Europe or wherever and then mm. coming back or maybe even not coming back. Mm. And there's sort of requests for extended extended leave. Yeah, that's interesting you should say that, Cathy, because I've been speaking to a few therapists recently who are heading to the UK um, for a holiday with a view to staying mm-hmm. if they like it. So they're actually getting their registra- their registration, UK registration with HCPC ready to press send, mm. um, heading over to suss it out and um, making that decision while they're over there whether, whether or not they'll stay. You think they'll stay? <laughs> I know what I'd do. <laughs> I know what I'd do too. <laughs> Give me my time again. <laughs> <laughs> kind of answers answers uh, answers that. So maybe tell us, uh, maybe share a little bit about the companies that you work with, and a little bit about the the recruitment process as well. Then we'll get into some of the trends that we're kind of seeing. Over to me. Um, we so you know, Kathy, but we specialise in recruitment. Uh, across Australia, New Zealand and the UK, but in terms of the Australian market, uh, where a lot of our roles sit in the clinical sector in the NDIS, for Mm. private and for also community health services. Um, There's a heap of work for 
OTs and speech therapists especially, but also physiotherapists and EPs. Um, we do we work with a lot of private practices, niche private practices across paediatrics, but also adults, and um, we just uh, in physio might be neurology or TMJ, facial pain, uh, etc. And we also do a heap of recruitment into the non-clinical, if you want to call it that, sector for clinicians that don't want to practice hands-on uh, physio, OT. Um, psych, EP, osteo anymore and that want to move into more non-clinical roles in the more corporate environment like OC rehab or injury management uh, and device sales. So that's broadly the areas we recruit to. Um, we partner with so many clients well because mm. they need our help um, and um, and we really do, because we've been in the market for so long, we really have got a good um, a good grasp on market salaries and trends around what therapists are looking for in their next role and all of that sort of information. Mm. And I'll also add there that um, Danielle's a physio background and I'm an OT by background, but our staff also have um, backgrounds in health or backgrounds in education. Mm. So it just gives us that understanding, that deeper understanding of what our clients need and what the role entails. I'm curious, you may not be able to answer this, but what's your most popular request? From... Clients or from yeah clients? from clients the unicorn <laughs> the unicorn how how long is it going to take me to find a senior OT or senior speech pathologist yeah yeah that's often the question which we can't answer <laughs> straight away we'll help we'll do as much as we can but um yeah it's a, it is a tough market they are out there though yeah I think that um is about the the maturing that we're seeing in private practice and so many practices are looking for those team leaders and looking for that that leadership um, level either to strengthen and expand what they've got or to bring it in kind of for the first time. And so those more senior clinicians with leadership potential Mm -hmm. are potentially the unicorns. Where where do you think they are? I mean, just looking at at, at OT and speech, there are significant rates of attrition from Mm. the profession and I think we can confidently say that they're female dominant professions and a lot of people do um, take breaks for for family reasons Um, and I think I think it's twofold so we have we have that but then the introduction of the NDIS created a, a so many more roles for allied health in general. And the question is, were we prepared um, for that influx of opportunities um, into the allied health market? Um, Were we training enough therapists sort of, you know, five to ten years before the introduction of the NDIS um, that would allow, you know, enough senior staff um, to 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 across the board, across aged care, mm-hmm. across the NDIS, across OC rehab, across hospital roles, across, you know, and I, I think the, the answer to that is no. So there's not enough, um, but I do think that we also have a little bit of a, you know, an issue with an untapped market. So the people that have left the profession, what is, you know, we need to look at their capacity to, to return to the workforce and what is that? So can, are people not returning to the workforce because they can't come back in a full, full-time full capacity? 
could they come back in a two-day role or a three-day role um, working flexible hours? Um, and I think once we analyse that and look at then what what work, what type of work is going to suit them best, so is it a billing role or is it a purely a um, team management role or a professional development role, um, I think that we can find, we can pull people back into the workforce. And I would also say that we're seeing um, some senior cl- clinicians moving out of the hospital-based public health sector into the private community sector for the autonomy and for the flexible nature of working, um, being able to work from home if you need and um, and that sort of thing, plus, plus a lot of the private NDIS providers are able to pay really well at the moment um, in terms of incentives and salaries. So we are seeing a, a shift senior therapists out of the hospital-based environment. Yeah. With those more senior clinicians in mind, what do you think, what else do you think business owners need to be thinking about to attract those unicorns? Because everybody's offering flexible workplace, doing air quotes, everybody's offering this, that and the other, but what what is really going to get a business head and shoulders above the others to bring, to maybe attract those seniors back? I think it's about asking people what they want and assessing mm-hmm. it on an individual need because offering offering one thing for one person, like you can offer, offer working from home and, you know, flexible working arrangements, but maybe somebody who's returning to the workforce isn't feeling so confident about returning to the workforce mm-hmm. and, you know, and wants your mentorship for six months to transition into a role. Um, and that's the sort of thing that you can only assess by actually talking to someone. So it's attracting someone to getting your roles out there to the point where, um, you know, people will come to you and and have that conversation. And maybe it's about advertising that we're interested to talk to, to you about what you need in your next role. Yeah. And also the practices that are, um, they still struggle with recruitment, but they're doing it relatively well are the practices that are, are promoting their skill sets and what they've got mm. to offer future clinicians um, and networking, which traditionally I don't think um, health, you know, pe- people that go into health go into it to help people, not to pro- self-promote. So I think um, I think knowing, I think promoting, if you're a clinic owner, promoting your experience and skill set and what you can offer staff um, at whatever level is really important. Sometimes I hear uh, from business owners that they're not comfortable about promoting themselves and what and that oh you, you kind of hear all of the um, all of the things. And what I often kind of suggest is, well, maybe it's not promoting you, it's promoting what the business will provide and perhaps getting back out of the way a little bit and putting the business forward mm. as being able to create bespoke packages around, in this case, the senior clinicians. Does that make, is that kind of, yeah, helps, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It is interesting, isn't it? um, As a huge generalisation, I find that OTs and speeches in particular are not great at self-promotion. The other thing I find is that um, practices and organisations are desperate for staff because they've they've got huge waiting lists um, and they want to help those those mm-hmm. people, those children, their families um, as as much as they possibly can. So if you look at self promotion, not a, it's not really about your ego. <laughs> it's about actually yeah. attracting to your business, attracting people to your business that's then going to 
um, in turn actually benefit a whole lot of people out in our community that desperately need our services. So maybe if you think of it like that, maybe it makes yep. a little bit more, yep. it, it makes it easier to get out there and promote yourself yeah. and, and, um, and, you know, advertise your skill set mm-hmm. um, to make your business um, attractive. And also um, senior and junior, but if you think about junior therapists, early career therapists as well, like they're they're a different generation to where we're at in terms of what where you where you need to promote your business on social media platforms and the rest of it. So I do think um, I do think in terms of broader marketing, it's important to do that, even though when health is not normally comfortable with that. Yeah. Hopefully, it's um, something that's coming to an end soon with a new generation, Kathy. Hopefully we're breeding very, very confident, um, very, very confident therapists. Yeah, yeah. What have you noticed about the 2023 graduate cohort? Are they finding jobs? Are they happy? Are they changing? What are they they up to? I would say it's probably too early to tell. Um, They've definitely found jobs. Um, We had another year. Six months before they graduate, they've likely found jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Recruitment is just starting earlier and earlier to mm. the point where we're now seeing, you know, therapists in third year um, yep. being scoped out for work, you know, after they finish their fourth year. Um, so whether or not they're happy, are we seeing a lot of movement? Um, no, not really at this stage. Mm. So just a little bit too early to tell, I think. Yeah, I would say that um, I, I would say in last year's grad cohort and this year's, which are not graduated yet unless they're master's grads, um, they are very much looking at grad roles that can offer supervision and support in their grad years. I would say that. And that's a lot of what we do talking to graduates is say, don't follow the money in your grad year, follow the support and supervision Mm -hmm. so that you get a good grounding in your, you know, in your early first year or two of working um, because there is a lot of money being thrown at graduates, but they're also um, not often, not often, but occasionally not supported well enough to work com- confidently and competently in a grad role. Yeah. What extent do graduates use recruitment services like yours? They come for us to us for, for really two reasons. Um, one, of course, is to um, scope out a number of different yeah. opportunities um, from somebody who's independent. I think in some ways they're a little bit hesitant to um, contact employers directly because it gets overwhelming um, and it gets very overwhelming quickly. Um, but the other thing they come to us for is career advice um, to look at um, we're having more and more conversations about the career pathway and not and not so much the first job or the next job, but what are my options? Um, and including, you know, if I was wanting to go to, over to the UK to work, when would I do that in my career? And is it going to impact my chances of getting a job when I come home? Am I going to de-skill working in the UK? So I feel as though therapists are actually thinking more along like about career pathways now and not just the next job. Yeah, I would agree. And also we offer, um, I mean, the first season of Allied Health Podcast is focused on grads um, as well in terms of uh, advice around CVs and cover letters and interviewing and advice around interviewing. But we, um, grads often come to us. We do a lot of, we work with a lot of universities um, presenting to their fourth years and um, they come to us for free resources like CVs, cover letters all of that sort of thing as well. Must be daunting for graduates 
to get out there into the market and to know how to show up and how to write up and how to prepare. And I, I have no clue what the universities help them with, but it possibly isn't enough for the volume of choice that mm. they have. Yeah, what we're, what we're seeing, Kathy, is that they're really what they're really struggling with is um, the end stage of the recruitment process because they're getting a number of job offers um, mm. and they're getting they're, they're getting a number of job offers. They're going through multiple recruitment processes and they're getting a number of job job offers, and then they're in this position where they're going to have to say no to. In most cases, more than more than one, you know, company or organisation, and that's the part that they have difficulty with. Yeah, um, and that's it. that's a really important thing to get right because the world of allied health is small. <laughs> the world of OT is even smaller in speech, and you never know when someone's going to show up later later on in your career. Um, so we offer a lot of advice around and a lot of assistance to manage that process and to say, you know, just because you're um, declining a job offer you're not you're not being offensive but you know this is how you do it to keep doors open bridges un- unburnt um, mm. and that that role may be right for you in three or four years time so keep in touch keep connected um, and you know a, a, a declining a job managed well can really open up doors in the future so yeah and also not that um, we are seeing grads being offered roles um, that then they have only got twenty four hours to you know mm. to oh. to, um, to accept or not, and I I mean I don't think any um, good employer would be forcing that on any um, anyone. They want the person to accept their role because they want a therapist that wants to work for them. But we are hearing from grads that they're feeling under pressure on that front as well. So they're conversations that we can easily have as an independent party to it, and how to manage those situations as well. Gosh, that's tough. That's tough. Gosh, I um, wanted one job and I got the one I wanted. (laughs) I didn't have a big plan. (laughs) I'm sure I was exactly the same. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't really think too much about it either. It sounded like a good job, so I took it. (laughs) No, and I might have had a really big night the night before my interview just (laughs) said. But, Kathy, we, like Claire and I often talk about this, like, Six years ago, we were talking to grad OTs that were a year out of, you know, graduation that were still working in retail roles because they couldn't secure a grad OT role. And that's not that long ago um, in terms of, you know, a uni degree is four years here. So um, the market really has shifted so much for these these grad therapists. Um, I think it's a good thing, though. I mean, amazing to have options. It's just about how you manage the the process when you've got multiple options. Yeah pretty steep process to manage um, as you're emerging from a student to a, yeah, early professional. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Uh, The early career or the graduate early career, well, let's just go graduate. So the graduate clinicians heading over to Europe, heading over to the UK for their first Mm -hmm. job? Are they heading over for their first job, Cathy? Yeah, given that they haven't been able to travel too much in the last So we've got a lot of therapists that are really eager to go. So our advice is get at least 12 months of experience in Australia before you go. Really? Okay. Absolutely. Why? Um, Why is that? It's really good to, to like, hone your foundation skills and your mm. generic skills, your, you know, your organisation, your communication, all that sort of thing, and just and just learn, you know, how to how to practise as an OT or a physio and yep. a speech, speech in the workplace. It'll just make for a much 
um, more confident transition mm. into locum work. The important thing to remember is that in, you know, working in locum work in the UK, you you can get really dropped in the deep end. Um, you know, you're there to fill mm. a gap. Um, I remember when I worked as an OT in um, in the UK, um, one of the locum roles I was in, you know, they had a staff meeting on the first day and I wasn't invited. <laughs> It's really put out. Well, of course I wasn't invited. They weren't going to pay me £25 to sit in their staff meeting. I had ADLs to do. <laughs> um, so, so that's why we say stay for at least 12 months. It also takes six months to get registered. So, mm-hmm. and you can't start the registration process really until you've graduated and you've got your, you know, degree certificate and whatnot. So stay for, for stay for 12 months, get registered, um, and then head over there um, with, you know, with with some confidence about what you're doing. Running a business isn't just about setting up shop and becoming complacent. It's about showing up for ourselves and our clients with a commitment to continuous improvement. We have to be honest with ourselves about where we're at and where we're going. That means identifying strengths and weaknesses so we can improve. After all, if we're remaining stagnant, how can we scale and build the business and life of our dreams? That's where the NACAR Consulting Allied Health Biz Quiz comes in. We're not talking horoscopes and pulse hope here. This questionnaire is the perfect starting point for you to begin identifying your strengths, needs and blind spots as an allied health business owner. The process is simple. Answer the 14 questions and we'll send you a personalized report that includes actionable steps for you to start taking your business to the next level. Ready to take your business into your own hands? Take the NACAR Consulting Allied Health Biz Quiz today. Dropping in the deep end uh, is bringing a bit of a flashback. I had a wonderful job here in Melbourne with a client list of 25. And my first job in community health in the UK, I had two hundred, just over 200 clients. Hmm. Like, what, do you, what do you do with the other kind of 190? Like, <laughs> Absolutely. And who do you see first? I can pretty much just pick a card and start there. Hmm. Yeah. And you're working in a different health system. Yep. You know, you've there's 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 so many little things that make it a mm. little more stressful um than working in Australia. Um, you know, for a start you pick up and you go over there and you'll be in the opposite season. So if you you know, you leave in summer over here and you arrive in the depths of winter. Um, yep. And that's a shock. I know that sounds ridiculous, but that's a shock to us, the system in itself. And it's real winter. It's, you know, the sun doesn't really come up over there in, you know, December, January, February. Um, so it's, there's so many things to contend with. Yeah. And then what about, so we're aware that there's increasing numbers of clinicians heading over to the UK in this instance or any, anywhere else. What about the reverse? What what about the clinicians coming to Australia now that they can? Yeah. So we've got we've got two things happening now. We're starting to see our first wave of clinicians that went over to the UK as soon as um, borders open. We're starting to see them expressing interest in coming back for early next year. Um, and they are terrific therapists to grab. The our ones that have gone over and locumed in the UK. Um, you know, I often get the question, you know, will will I develop my clinical skills over there? Well, I say yes. Um, but you also just personally, you really grow doing something like traveling abroad and, you know, working and holidaying and traveling and whatnot. So they're great therapists to grab. I also find they've got a um therapist coming back um from the UK. Um, 
as a generalization again, but they've largely got a really good idea of what they want to do when they come back and what area they want to specialize in if they're going to specialize. Um, now, the the other part to that is we've got um, English therapists, South African therapists, um, Irish. What, Irish, yeah, wanting to come to Australia to work. Um, and, you know, again, this is it's a great market to explore. Um, if they need sponsorship, it can be more, it's more, it's definitely more costly. Mm-hmm. And I would say it's just higher risk recruitment. So bringing someone out to start in a permanent role on sponsorship, um, you've got a lot riding on the fact that, you know, are they going to settle into Australia? Are they going to enjoy the mm-hmm. job? You've interviewed them via video link, but are they going to be a good fit for the team? So it's just a um, higher level um yeah, it's just there's just more risk involved. Um, there's always the option to pick up therapists that are here on a working holiday that are looking to stay and need sponsorship. Um, if you're going to look at making that investment, that at least gives you a chance to sort of try before you buy. Um, and, you know, you, you can get a really good um, feel for are they a good fit for the team? You know, what are their, what's their, what are their clinical skills like? How do they perform in the role um, before you make that decision to invest in sponsorship? Yeah, and anecdotally, we've heard from some clients that have um, recruited South African therapists and uh, have been really happy with the level of performance, the clinical skill set and their hardworking nature of it. So um, their skill sets are there and ready to go. It's just about attracting them. Hopefully they're already in Australia and um, you can meet with them. But, yeah, we're hearing that as well. Yeah. How time-consuming and complicated is the process of sponsorship? Yeah. So we have um, our own podcast series, Allied Health Podcast. Um, Season 2, Episode 1, we interview Justin Wilson, who is a, a migration agent um, from Callum Wilson and Co. And Justin outlines the process of sponsoring a therapist to work mm-hmm. in Australia um, and the cost to do so. So it is quite involved. There are a number of steps, mm-hmm. um, but he does a really good job at outlining everything that's involved in that that episode of Allied Health Podcast. We will definitely reference that. I haven't listened to that one, so I'll take a bit of a, a listen up. Um, yeah, sometimes I'm sort of struck by how um, how allied health business owners potentially underestimate the time and the cost and the risk, and they may sort of feel that they've tried all avenues here, and really this is the the only solution. I get a little alarmed on that. <laughs> There's always going to be more than one yeah. solution, so it's a lot of eggs to put in one basket, high risk basket. Yeah, it is. I think I think one thing I will say though. When you find the right person, I think the process seems less daunting. Mm-hmm. So if you were to go down that that path of considering sponsoring an overseas trained therapist, I would say run an interview process first. And then if you feel as though you so you can put your put advertisements out or come to us um, and you look at a number of CVs and conduct a number of interviews and just make the investment of that process, like allocate 10 hours to that, interview a few therapists, and at the end of that, you might have a clear idea as to whether or not you want to go down that, mm. that path or not. 
if you find the right person, um, if you find the right person, it could be um, really obvious, you know, what you, sh- what you should do. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would say as well, Cathy, for any um, for anyone that is looking for staff and haven't used an agency before, we are obviously a recruitment agency, but there's no cost to have a discussion with us mm. or a practice owner or a business owner looking for staff. We obviously have a permanent recruitment fee that is charged if we find a candidate and on the day only on the day that they start. So uh, even to talk to us initially and um, pick up the phone and have a chat, even to agree terms, there's actually no financial cost for us to do some searching. We've got amazing networks because we've been in business for 21 years. So um, if anyone hasn't used an agency before, there's no financial risk unless we find you someone find you someone amazing. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing to factor in if if any of the you know any of your networks haven't used agencies before. You raise a, a great point that there's a lot of fear and I can't afford an agency and they're all so expensive. Mm. Do you guys want to banish that fear? Because <laughs> you know what I think about that. Yeah. I'm happy to banish it. Most of our Go amazing Go banish. Banish away. <laughs> Most of our amazing clients that we partner with, because really the clients that we work yeah. with, well with, we are partnered. They look at the financial cost and they know what it's going to mean if somebody stays for longer longer than, you know, eight weeks or whatever the commercial side of it is. Um, but there is no financial risk to use us. The, the risk, there's no risk and there's a we have a refund guarantee for anybody that starts mm. through us as well. But I think the reason that we've been in business for so long is because we're really honest. If somebody says to us, can you find me a speech pathologist in regional New South Wales, we will say, no, we can't guarantee that we'll, you know, we will find you one. We do speak to some clients who um, have used agencies before and have, you know, had to pay a retainer. We don't charge a retainer or any of those sorts of things in terms of recruitment. So really there is a cost and that's, but that's only on the day that a therapist starts in a role. So um, it's pretty straightforward. And the other, and the other thing too, I, I, I mentioned is we never encourage you to stop the recruitment process yourself. Yeah, that's right. So um, the market's too dire to do that. So any agency that's asking you to, you know, hand over the control solely to them, not a great idea. Um, yeah. yeah. Something else that uh, business owners may not consider is how much they will learn about them as business owners and how much they'll learn about their business and their team and essentially their value proposition by working with recruiters mm-hmm. as well. And they might have to be, you know, just a little open-minded growth mindset about what they might need to stop thinking and doing and what they might need to start thinking and doing to make themselves attractive. Absolutely. And they're the questions that we're going to ask that's going to force you to think mm-hmm. about those things. So what are what are the benefits of joining your practice? Mm-hmm. Do you, have a, do you have a position description? Because most candidates will and want to be part of your team and, and your business and your brand, if you'd like to call it that. There's got to be all of this stuff in place to attract good staff. Mm. Yeah. And how much experience do you have? Yeah. What yep. can you offer? A, you know, what can you offer a therapist in terms of, you know, professional growth and development? And people yeah. underestimate that, Kathy. They do. And I, and well, yeah, you know, between us, we look at a lot of websites and we look at a lot of join the team pages and uh, look at a lot of, well, we do with our members, you know, the employee value proposition piece. And a lot of it is all very, very same, same. And it is really a joy to read a website that really talks about 
the value proposition from a wholehearted, committed point of view. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not going to work in the market to say you'll get supervision. You need a lot more detail and yeah. coding on that. What, what does that look like? What is that? What does that mean each week? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, um, I think uh, I think a lot of our clients, um, yeah, they, yeah, on the back of that, the value proposition and also um, the fact that our knowledge at MediRecruit, we have so much market knowledge around salaries, mm-hmm. what other businesses are paying. It's all confidential. We don't we won't, don't talk about mm-hmm. business specifically. But if mm-hmm. someone doesn't, if someone's even dabbling in the idea that they might look at using an agency, you can always call us and we can we give you market advice. What are grads earning? What are therapists five years out earning? What, what else could I do to attract them? And and we can give advice on how other practices are structuring their remuneration or structuring their incentives or structuring their work-life balance commitments or whatever it, whatever mm-hmm. else it may be. Yeah. So those those keys to what's resonating with candidates and what they're looking for, what what the what yeah. sort of competition you're up against in terms of uh, wanting a therapist with three years experience. Yeah. We um, often have clients contact us who you know even talking about you know pay rates and they will say to us, well, what do I need to pay a, a grad therapist at the moment? And it's amazing how much it's shifted in the last two years alone. <laughs> frightening, oh, frightening, frightening, maybe not so much amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's complicated. That's complicated. Um, what, what do you think the recruitment market is going to look like in the next, let's just go three years, let's mm. just go three years. Because it's been tight and highly competitive and candidates market, is this going to persist or something else? I, 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 I'm confident it is going to persist um, because we're really we're really only seeing the shift across the entire spectrum now. So the entire spectrum of um, roles across allied health. So um, we the 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 first sign of the shortages really appeared in private practice, um, but now it's flowing onto hospital roles. It's flowing into um, injury management and occupational rehabilitation. So I feel as though we're, we're, it's now affecting all areas of practice, yeah. um, the shortages. Um, so I can't see that resolving in the next three years. No, I can't either. And then on top of that, we've got, the fact that borders were closed for two years or however long and that therapists are now wanting to go and work in their chosen career in the UK and earn good money and travel that maybe didn't get to do it three years ago when they planned. Yeah. The, the other the other positive, which um, I don't think is necessarily going to shift it a heap in the next five years, but um, I know OT Australia um, have done some research on it, but I think there are something like grad 2,500 OT grads each year now coming out of unis in Melbourne, or sorry, across Australia, not Melbourne, yep. um, which is a lot more than it, it was five years ago. So um, at least there's at least there's going to be some more grads out there. So um, that's a positive. But we've got to get those grads excited about working in potentially an NDIS-funded environment, mm-hmm. potentially interested in working in a government environment. Um, and, you know, you sort of mentioned about going for the, the structured programs and the mentoring and the support rather than chasing the big dollars. Um, yeah. 
There are some great, I mean, saying that though, there are also some great community private organisations that have got amazing grad programs going on as well and really supportive, really with tech in terms of, you know, even though the roles are fairly autonomous, really super supportive in virtual um, clinical support um, at their fingertips. So, yeah, that's, that is also out there. Yeah. Got a couple of minutes left. I'll uh, give each of you the chance to kind of leave a bit of a, a message for consideration. Claire, you're good go at that. First. You're good at that, Claire. You go for it. Claire, you're good at that. You go first. <laughs> Just Claire cringing and... No, I think I I think the message is for, for smaller private practices who are finding recruitment difficult at the moment, just don't underestimate what you have in your self mm. and what you have in your team, whether it be small. I know more just than mighty. Yeah. And I and I think also, you know, there's a there is, you know, the obvious um, you know, we've just talked about structured graduate programs. Mm. But I know me personally as a graduate, I just loved shadowing. And that's how I mm. learnt. But that's that's where I did my best learning. So um, yes, it's important to have, you know, a structured program, but that program might be you'll spend an hour with me each day in on a session, um, you know, for the first six weeks, and then we'll do it ongoing, you know, depending on what you need, or we'll do it three times a week or so just think outside the box in terms of, you know, what you have available and what you can offer, because um, that is something that's just so um, valuable to our um, graduate and early career therapists is actually sitting in on sessions. And there's there's so much autonomous working at the moment um, that if you've if you can offer the opportunity to you know have junior therapists work side by side with you, that it's it's very very attractive. Yeah, my messaging. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of co working. Mm. Yeah. And I think as, um, my messaging would also be networking. Allied health professionals traditionally haven't been great at networking, which goes hand in hand with not self-promotion and marketing mm. and that side of thing. But I think networking all the time and also always recruiting, even if you don't feel like you've got a role at the moment, I feel like the networking and recruiting in advance um, can only buffer you if somebody does resign or whatever else it may be. But I feel like networking is part of that um, because the minute you need somebody, you've got a, a network of therapists who all talk. And as I said before, and as you know, Kathy, it's a really small allied health mm-hmm. world. Um, so I think networking and and always recruiting is my mm-hmm. tip. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Building relationships and yeah, you never know who's going to cross your path next or who you might need next or who may need you in different ways as well. Um, yeah. And I think yeah. it's a habit that totally stalled over 2021 and probably half of 2022, understandable, but, uh, you know, getting the shoes on and mm-hmm. lip gloss and whatever yeah. um, and getting back out there. And I, I, I think also we made it a little bit difficult for ourselves that there are quite limited opportunities for networking. Mm-hmm. as well, it, it, you know, where so many business owners as, uh, find themselves in clinical conferences and clinical workshops yeah. and the conversation is very clinical, um, creating those environments for uh, business conversations. I still don't think we're there yet. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, one and all. Thank you, Danielle. Thank you, Claire. Thanks, Kathy. It's really good to chat to you again. Yeah. Always good to catch up, Kathy.
Alrighty, we'll see you guys soon. See ya. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. For the show notes and other resources, our webinar replays, they're all available over on naker.com.au. And if you're loving what you're listening to, please subscribe. We don't want you to miss out on a single thing. And if you want others to get the same benefit that you've had from listening into these episodes, please share this episode and any of the others forward to any of your other allied health business colleagues. And we are totally here for you. Don't forget for a moment that you can jump on in and book that power call and uh, we can see how we can help you get the best of business done. Looking forward to seeing you there.